Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello, my name is Cam Connor with my son Chris, and this is episode 26. So we are back, and I wanted to thank everyone for listening to the, the latest podcast, and we want to welcome the new listeners. We have some exciting news that we, in at least in Canada, hit top 20 of all genres of podcasts. Are you surprised about that, Dan? Well, I am. You know, these are just stories for the most part, opinions of mine, and uh, to think that anybody else actually cares what I have to say, I think that's pretty nice. Well, based on your Twitter, you're getting some pretty good feedback, and I guess we'll bring that up. If you want to follow Dad on Twitter, it's at CamConnorNHL, or uh, we'll also take some of your questions at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. So yeah, we wanted to thank everyone for their reviews and for for listening. We really appreciate it, and that's why we keep listening, and that's how I can drag Dad to do another another episode, right? Well, I think as soon as uh, I see people don't care to listen anymore, that's my out. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So uh, keep listening, and we'll keep we'll keep recording. So coming up this week, I'm going to Toronto and. Most of the time when I visit Toronto, I always go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And you've been there before a few times, right, Dad? I actually have only been there once. And what did you think of it? Well, you know, first of all, you got to be a hockey fan. So, obviously, I am a hockey fan. And uh, it was entertaining to me. You know, they showed various uh, memorabilia of what people wore, the old hockey sticks back in, you know, with six teams. You know, quite an honor to look at the replica Stanley Cup and... Just to know that my name is on there and, you know, I understand they only keep the names on there for 40 years, 50 years, something like that. And uh, How do you feel about that? Well, it is what it is because, I mean, how tall can this thing get? So, you know, it's just an honor for me that maybe a relative or a friend, maybe when I'm gone, the name will still be there and, and at least maybe somebody will get some enjoyment out of seeing my name there. So you won the Cup in 78? 79? 78, 79, I believe. So we'll have to figure out when you're, when you're, the last year that your, your name is on. I think I did figure it out and now I completely forgot. So if anyone knows, let us know. So, uh, we could say our, our final goodbyes of the last year where we see your name. And, uh, I know when we went, we went together to the Hockey Hall of Fame and we saw a Montreal Canadiens dressing room. And so my question for you then, and we could talk about it now, is I think it was from the year that you played, or, or pretty close to the year that you played. So what was it yeah. like to see that, and did it bring back memories, and how close to the actual dressing room did it look like? Well, that dressing room was from Montreal Forum. That's the so-called replica. I've seen one other replica in Saskatoon in an arena. They said, you got to come and see this. And I went and saw that. And and, and and this is just my opinion. And then in the Hockey Hall the hockey hall of Fame, you know, obviously there are similarities. They've got certain things that are, you know, above the players' lockers, the, the different 
players that have won the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's all the same. Um, they had the same exact red color in the dressing room that was in ours. But in my opinion, and I haven't seen it for five, six years, but my recollection was, you know, maybe it's 50 per 60% accurate, but you know, maybe I'll look again, but it's not the way I remembered our dressing by any means at all. It, 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 there were similarities, but I wouldn't walk in and say, I can't tell a difference. It, it, there was a difference for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, so I'll keep you posted how that visit goes, but I do recommend if anyone is in Toronto, it's pretty affordable. I think it's like $10, $15 to go, and I think you could easily spend a couple, couple hours there. So Halloween is uh, approaching, and I know my kids are excited, and I thought, Dad, do you have any Halloween stories and any hockey Halloween stories? I would say uh, the one that comes to mind is Montreal Canadiens. We did a lot of things together with Montreal. They had a Halloween party, and I want, I want to say, well, I can't actually, maybe Cornway's, I can't remember whose house it was at. And all of us had to get dressed up, and the wives and the girlfriends. And so we didn't just figure out what we had laying around the house and put something on. We went out and rest, rented costumes. And it was actually pretty funny when you see the people's on the guys on the team and their wives show up. It, it, it was so, you know, the wife and I, we took uh, snapshots of everybody. And I still have those pictures of... Uh, you know, the great guys, Lemaire and Cornway and Ganey and Lafleur and Robinson, all the guys in their costumes. And it's actually pretty funny, to be honest with you. And so, you know, maybe, Chris, uh, I can dig those up and you could post them. But, yeah, so I remember the Halloween party. And I also remember it was like a potluck, so everybody brought something. And as I was filling up my plate, I didn't, I put a lot of salad on it. And there wasn't really a lot of room for anything else. So there was, I think it was like a big bean somebody brought. So I just threw it on top of my salad and something else on top of my salad. And I remember a couple of the wives saying, well, that is gross. But I like salad and I like the beans. So I didn't see why I wouldn't like the combo. But anyways, I think I was at, uh, I, want, I want to say Wendy's for lunch show a few years back. And they were serving that exact same thing. Salad with like a beans or something on top. So... I was ahead of my time. Do you remember what you dressed up as? I dressed up as uh, like a Lawrence of Arabia with, uh, with I don't know what whatever those are called. A yeah, turban? Well, th- it's the whole outfit. Oh, the whole oh right. Outfit, so. And I've seen these photos, so I don't know if we'll get in trouble for, for posting them. What do you, <laughs> do we go ahead and try? Well, I don't see how you get in trouble. Um, there's maybe when you see Shetty, he has a, like a fake, fake pair of boobs on the outside, if I remember correctly. I don't know if we'll show all of them, but uh, they, they were all pretty unique and pretty good. And I would wager none of the other guys were taking pictures. Uh, we And we haven't shown anybody. We haven't posted them anywhere. But And, you know, there's going to be people listening that just don't even know that era, so it doesn't mean anything to you. But for the ones that that know the guys that I'm talking about, I think you'll get a kick out of them if we, if we end up doing this. So we had a lot of uh, positive feedback from uh, your coaching stories from last episode. And uh, a couple people reached out to me and wanted to know 
I guess you sounded almost like a teacher. And so they wanted to know if you had any positive uh, teacher role models and <laughs> if you had any negative ones. So I thought for sure there has to be some kind of story attached to that. And correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you know, teachers, I could say, you know, obviously teachers from when you went to school. And I'll even call hockey coaches teachers. And I know with 100% certainty the way... I learn is through positive reinforcement. A pat on the back and you're doing well and keep it up. And I would think, although I don't know, most people, they'll grow through things being positive said about you. And and so I've had a few teachers like that growing up in Winnipeg and I've had a few coaches like that. And I've talked about the coaches that were pretty negative. And at the end of the year, you know, I didn't have a good season because that's just not how you coach me. And as a coach, I've probably said before, you've got to realize, you know, that because you got 20 guys in the team, you can't treat all 20 guys the exact same way. Some you got to push, some you got to pull. And uh, you got to figure out what you got, and then you treat them accordingly. Whatever it is that pushes their button and brings out the best in them, you got to figure that out. So it's not through... You know, like with six teams back in the NHL, it was all yelling. Gordy Howe was telling me about it. You know, it was a lot of negative. Because what were the options the players had in those days? You had, they didn't have a world hockey you could leave and go to a different league. You didn't have the opportunities like you have now in Europe and they pay pretty good. So you pretty well had to take all the negative abuse. But again, that's just not the way for me to grow. And when I think of teachers, my son has said, you know, don't mention any names. But I remember these teachers' names. And I remember even in grade one, my first day of school, I didn't know you couldn't run down the hallway when it's recess time. And I ran down the hallway and I got in trouble and they pulled me into the principal's office. And they used to strap you in those days. So the first day of grade one, I got strapped. And I got strapped right up until grade nine every year. And when you say strap, where are they where are they hitting you and what are they hitting you with? Well, they they had this uh, great big leather belt that was about six inches across, long piece of leather, and you had to bend over and they whacked you on the butt with that thing and Yeah, it was but I, I remember some of the teachers and boy you you can't get away with it this kind of abuse and that I know I had to take as some of the other students. I guess I had a lot more energy and, you know, and I, obviously that kind of works against you. Um, I, I I just remember, like I said, I got strapped every year and I don't think I was that bad of a kid now. Maybe you talk to somebody else and they might disagree, but I don't think so. I, I just remember like in grade seven, the teacher for some reason was nasty, skinny little guy. And the, the class elected me as the class president. And then a month later, he says, I don't want you class president. So he took that away from me, even though the class elected me. I remember this guy used to pinch my tricep. And he tried to hurt me by squeezing it and twisting it in the hallways. And I wouldn't give him the satisfaction of crying or showing him it hurt. I just stood there. It hurt. And so I had bruising. And, you know, back in those days, the parents used to say to you, if you're doing something in school and getting in trouble, you're going to get it twice as bad as you, when you get home. So I remember, I never told him. I remember I came to class one day in grade 7, 
And I was about a minute late, and I quickly go sit in my seat. That somebody put some tacks down on my seat, and I sat on these tacks, and I jumped right up. And teacher asked what happened. I said I sat on some tacks, and they said, "Do you know who did it?" I said, "Yes." And they said, "Who?" I wouldn't tell. So he brought me up in front, and he put two or three yardsticks together, made me bend over, and he strapped me in front of the class because I wouldn't tell. I remember in grade five. I must have been talking to class, and then they made me for recess stand in the hallway and look at the at the wall. So everybody else is out having recess, and I'm just standing there looking at the wall, and I hear some footsteps coming down the hallway because hallways echo. And I just turned my head and I saw who it was, and it's this great big heavy woman who was the teacher, not even my teacher. So I saw who it was, and then I put my face back towards the wall. And she walked up, and I'll never forget it. She said, you're supposed to be looking at the wall. She grabbed me by the hair and smacked my face or my forehead into the concrete. And that hurt, but I wasn't going to cry. And again, I never told my parents. And, you know, there was a few more of these that happened. You know, it, it wasn't good, but you just kind of accept it and you just move forward. So you asked me, you know, about teachers. That's kind of what I remember, but I also remember... There was a one or two really, really warm teachers that I, I just couldn't wait to get in their class because they made me feel good and they were positive with me. And so, you know, I have mixed memories about that. Were there any that really saw your potential and saw that maybe you weren't uh, the academic, but you had uh, other skills and they kind of brought that out in you? Um. You know, not to my recollection. I think, uh, I think in grade ten, I remember we had a school hockey team, and boy, it was rough hockey high school against high school. And I think uh, I remember a grade ten teacher. His name was Mister Gray, and he was our hockey teacher. And our club coach, he told us, "I don't want any of you guys playing high school hockey. You might get hurt, and then you can't play for you know our club games." I just loved the game of hockey so much. And I paid to play for the club, so I didn't care about that threat. I just said to, I, you know, the other guy said, oh, we can't play. I said, I'm playing. I'm playing high school hockey. And then they all said, yeah, me too, me too. So I remember Mr. Gray, he, uh, I think he saw a little potential in me. But for me, you know, it started to really, when I got into junior hockey, I played a little bit more aggressive than anybody else. I played football. I always played with uh, two years older than myself. And I've mentioned before, I, I must have been a decent football player because I made provincial all-stars playing in, with a group that were two years older than me. And so I was given some advice when I was young. They said, Cam, you're a little bit bigger. Take the body every time you're out there and then get the puck. So I don't know. That stayed with me my whole career. You had the puck. It was rare that I tried to go after the puck. First thing I did was take the body every time, just about every time, you know. So I think being aggressive, I didn't know, I didn't have any fear until maybe, you know, when I got to pro and everybody's big and tough and they come from all over the world, so it's the best of the best. And there were some nights I'd lie if I said, you know, I wasn't scared. I was scared. But you have to overcome that because if you want to play you want to do anything in life, uh, especially the sports world. Um, 
and you let fear overtake you, that's the beginning of the end. You just have to tell yourself, do it, and you just make yourself do it. So, Okay, so uh, I know a few, well, you actually got a lot of response to your uh, Paul Coffey story from the Humboldt Jersey event that you went to last night or two nights ago. So you will, I will ask you about that. But uh, there's a story about a train, and I've heard it a few times growing up, and I asked if you would share it, and you thought it was probably too morbid to share, but I think you tell the story really well, and uh, it's a sad story, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's one of those stories that I remember from car trips and just talking, and when we'd visit Winnipeg, you, and we'd uh, drive past I guess like a train station or the train tracks, you would bring it up a few times. And uh, I remembered. So I said, why don't you, why don't you share that story? You didn't want to. And then you said you would. So uh, if you share the train story and then we'll get back to um, your event that you went to. Well, it's just a story. I don't know. There's no moral to this. It's, it's it was a sad story that, uh, I was playing pro my first, second, third year away from uh, Winnipeg playing pro. And I talked to one of the brothers that I hung around with. And this story happened to his brother. And it was uh, a family out of Winnipeg that when I was growing up, they were very, very kind. They never had a lot of money. The mother and father really worked hard. And they had six or seven kids, two girls and five boys. They didn't have much, but boy, I know every time I went over, they'd feed me, and they were just a wonderful family, and uh, they didn't have much, but I, I, well, obviously, I've never forgot this family, just because I just saw how giving they were without expecting anything in return but friendship, and what had happened is, you know, these five brothers, they're all pretty close, and the one brother, he, uh... He only had, he, he didn't really hang around with too many people, but he fell in love with a girl who was much like himself. They only really liked, loved each other, and, and at about 13, 14 years old, that's, they only hung around with each other, and they they were in love, you could tell. And so he worked at what was called the CN Railways, so he was at work one day, and, and I got to say, you know, he might have been, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm guessing on this, you know, 18. He'd quit school, and I uh, was trying to make some money. And again, you know, he had his fiance, but they were lifelong. They just were in love. I mean, you could tell. It was just those two in the whole world. Anyways, he was at work, and, you know, they go over safety, especially around trains. If you've ever seen trains kind of, get connected they got these kind of couplings i don't know if that's the right name these couplings that when they back into each other then they lock and that's how they connect and so he was on one side you know waving to the the train driver you know moving forward move back or just wait a second and anyways for some reason he gave a signal and nothing would happen so he decided he had to go on the other side of the train so he went to slip through where, you know, the opening, there was an opening between these two couplings because it hadn't backed up yet. So he had to go to the other side. So he foolishly just walked between the two and wouldn't you know it, 
that was exactly when the train backed into the other one to connect it. He got caught in the middle. And uh, he, it, it, the way I understand it, is he got, he got crushed his lower body, but he was still alive. And then when they found out what happened, they quickly called his family and his brothers and sisters and his fiance because they knew as soon as they pulled it apart that he was going to die. So they brought the family members, you know, to his site while he was still alive to say goodbye. And, and his fiance too. And obviously, if you see your son or sibling or anybody you know kind of in that situation, it'll scar you for life. So they had told me the story, um, you know, what I'm just relaying to you. And it, it always bothered me that, uh, you know, you'd have to go say goodbye to somebody you love. But as soon as they pull it apart, he's dead. And so that's the story I uh, told my son. And as you can see, that's quite uh, a memorable story. And hopefully it's not too morbid. But to me, I actually think they could probably make a movie out of that. It's... Um... It's sad, but it's it's interesting um, and hard to segue out of that. But I know you will quickly talk about the Oilers. You actually went to an Oilers game against the Predators, and I wanted to know what you thought. They didn't do very well last year, so what are your thoughts this year, or at least based on the game that you saw? In my opinion, the first half of the season, you know, up until January, for the most part, and again, this is only my opinion, I don't think... And it's not just Edmonton. There's lots of other clubs. The first half of the season, you're trying to get the lines juggling. You're trying to get timing down. There's uh, a lot of factors that come into play. And the first 40 games, to me, if I have a choice to go to the second half or the first half, I will go watch the second half. Way better hockey. You know, when you're in the second half of the year, you kind of see how the standings are shaping up. You know how your your season personally is shaping up. And usually that second half of the year, you're going to see a lot better hockey than the first half. I went to the Nashville game. After the first period, the shots were 6-4 to four for Nashville. Like, it wasn't that exciting. And, you know, I know when you're a player, you're trying your best or you better be trying your best every single game. But some nights, you know what, it's just not going to be entertaining. That's just how it is. And uh, other nights you go, this is the best game ever. So he wasn't that entertaining. And, and the, the, they lost. Nashville's a good team. But they just played Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, I think. Friday night or Saturday afternoon. And they beat Nashville in Nashville 5-3. to three. And I think that is the first time the Oilers have beat Nashville in... 13 or 15 games. So they've now won more games than they've lost. I would like to think that that's an indication that they're going to have a decent year. Connor McDavid, he continues to be the bright star game in and game out. I can't wait till, you know, the other the other guys start to connect and it's a, a good 100% team effort, team scoring. There's guys that played last year that, weren't proud of their season. I can see that they've worked hard over the offseason and they're putting a better year together right from the start. And uh, Lucic is the guy I'm referring to. I believe 
and I don't know. I think he's lost weight, but he knew that he could play better than he did. And if you judge how someone has done just by goals and assists, that doesn't always, that's not always accurate because we had a guy in Montreal named Bob Gainey. Invaluable what he could do on that ice. And every time he scored or got points, that was a bonus. And I think with Lucic, just with him being out there, as long as he continues to be physical, and, you know, it's so tough now to play a physical role because you don't even have to do very much at all. And, you know, you've got a penalty. So that poor guy, you know, he's got to use his size and his being physical to his advantage. It helps the team out. But, boy, you just do anything that would be deemed to be too aggressive. And you got two minutes or five minutes. And so it's a tough line to walk there. But he's starting to have a good season and putting it together. And uh, I think the Oilers are going to be all right this year. If the first five, ten games or anything, the judge, they they should they should win the playoffs or get into the playoffs. And as I said before, in my opinion, it boils down to goaltending. So if the Oilers goaltending are stopping the puck, that gives the players, the forwards, the D, opportune time to, at the other end to get some goals. And uh, and I think that's what's happening so far. The goalies have stepped up and did a good job. And then the last topic we'll cover for today is, you. I know you were honored to be invited to represent the Oilers and the Oilers alumni at the recent Humboldt charity event where they were trying to raise money for four local players that um, died in the bus tragedy. So I guess you could talk a little bit about how the event went. And then you shared a story on Twitter about Paul Coffey that is, I don't know if it's going viral, but it's definitely getting a good reception. So if you can also talk about that. At this banquet, I was uh, in Grand Prairie and I had to drive back. I had car problems. Oh, it was a long day for me. And uh, when I got there, you know, to this banquet, the fundraiser. There, it was. It was a nice setting. There was 800 people that had paid and bought tables to help raise money for the humble Bronco players that lived in St. Albert, and they're going to put benches and other things in the players' names and uh, really good cause. So, a lot of uh, there's about 10 of us in the Oilers alumni that were there, and we were all glad to. We sat at different tables. I was fortunate enough, I was right near the front, and so I was sitting near the four families that had lost their son to the tragedy in the in the bus crash. And when the, they had a couple singers, and um, I apologize, there was one singer who was from Toronto, they, and Tom Cochran, they only sang one song each, and this, this singer... He played a guitar, country, sound like country western, came up and he had actually wrote a song for this event. He sang it, it was very good. And he had this guitar made. He had a friend that did some etching of the, I don't know what the final number was, we'll say 15 players, 16 players that died. And uh, they had all their faces on his guitar, the front of his guitar, and it was very well done. So he sang a song and in part of the fundraiser, they auctioned that off. And so... Really, it was only, it, 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 that guitar meant more to the families who lost their loved one. So nobody else was bidding on it. It was pretty well just the families, because that's who should get it. And I think it got up to about 6700 is what the bidding was. And you get Chris Joseph, who 
used to play with the Oilers and some other NHL teams. He lost his son, unfortunately. And I could see him and his wife kind of talking back and forth. And I think, as I said, they were up to 6700 was their bid. And then the other table, who also had lost his son, I think they went 6800 And then I guess that was the point that the Josephs had to back off. And the other table got this guitar. Then Tom Cochran got up and he started to sing. And uh, they auctioned off that guitar. And so there were some numbers going back and forth. And Paul Coffey just said $10,000. And uh, he just immediately gave it to the Josephs. You know, it didn't have the pictures of the boys on it. But just the thought of why he did it is to is just to help the Josephs out. And, uh, you know, maybe that guitar was going to remind them of this banquet that they went. And uh, it was just a... A gesture that when it was all over, I had to go over to see Koff and uh, I shook his hand. And that meant a lot for me to see that these kind of people are still out there. There's so many people that do things for themselves or they do something because the cameras are on them. And, and that's the reason they do it. Paul Coffey did this from his heart. And he told me, he said, you know, I was kind of sleeping, meaning like he wasn't. He wasn't tuned into bidding on that first one, first guitar with the pictures, because he said I probably would have gone after that for him. But, you know, when I thought about it later, I'm glad Paul didn't get involved in that guitar because, you know, it's the two families that it was down to that wanted it. And it wouldn't be right for Paul just to go out bid the one family and give it to the Josephs. I I just think it was up to those two to work it out. But, But by Paul stepping up and just doing a little something for the Josephs. And it was that kind gesture where he got nothing in return. And uh, I don't even know if it was mentioned in the paper, but when I see people that do something like that, it always stays with me. And I, I wish that I had more funds available that I could go around and help people that really need it or do some good. And when I saw Paul do it, you know, I've always believed if you see something good or you hear something good said about somebody, it doesn't do any good just to keep it to yourself. So when I was thinking about what Paul did, I had to go over and shake his hand and, and really just tell him, you know, he just moved up in my books. I told him not that that's going to make his day, but I told him that. And, uh, and again, it did my heart a lot of good to see somebody for no motive other than to maybe make the Josephs feel a little bit better. Paul did it for all the right reasons. So, Paul Coffey, you weren't only a good hockey player, you're a good human being. So, thanks for doing that. And uh, we can leave on a high note with that story after all, after all the other stories that you've shared uh, from your, your teachers and the train. Uh, so, that was a, a good um, act of kindness from Paul Coffey. So, until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam, and thank you.